You know what we're about to do? We're about to get real. We cannot but be concerned by the prospect of Ukraine joining NATO because it will lead, without a doubt, to the deployment of troops, military bases and threatening us with weapons there. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors. The scary ones, the ones that make you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia. When the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, Russia lost control of 14 former republics. So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle, I'm Brian, and if you don't want to miss anything, just hit that subscribe button. The loss of Ukraine was the hardest pill to swallow. As I see it, Ukraine is the key factor in the failure to reunite the Soviet Union. I don't mean that literally, but in Putin's attempt to recreate a certain unity or union based around the former republics. Ukraine isn't interested in this, and that remains a major problem for Putin. This is the Brian and Janelle Podcast. So excited to have back on the show Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to geek out again on just war theory here in just a minute, because yeah. I think it's so compelling sure. and so helpful mm. as, as a Christian to think through these things. But first, can you give us the, the kind of the 30,000-foot view of where are we right now with tensions and whispers of war between Russia and Ukraine? Depends on the estimate, but there are at least 100,000 troops camped along Ukraine's border, probably a little higher, but it depends on one's view. There are forthcoming military exercises in Belarus, which is the country to the north of Ukraine, and uh, the Russians have moved troops into that area as well as a range of different naval vessels, uh, including those with aquatic landing capabilities in the Black Sea, which is to the south of Ukraine. Uh, around Crimea, which is a territory they annexed in 2014, and is hugely strategically important in Europe and in that part of the world as access to the Mediterranean. And so tensions have been ongoing and, and rising. The United States and many other, especially NATO allies, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization countries, have tried to engage with the Russian government, in particular the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, to try and dispel tensions, reduce the likelihood of conflict. But it has been ongoing for several months now, and uh, the ground is is probably going to begin to thaw as winter subsides in the next month or two. And so there's real concern, I think, in many parts of the world that some kind of war is coming. So, okay, with all that in mind, there's the update. Now, for thousands of years, correct me if I'm wrong, Christians have tried to figure out how do we take the New Testament and the Old Testament and figure out how to navigate a world where war is sometimes necessary. Talk to us about the origins of just war theory. Yeah, there are numerous because 
a lot of scholars have attempted to think through a biblical position on war for many years. And I, I know in your audience, there are going to be a range of different denominational backgrounds. Some will say a pacifist position is, is only possible. Others will say, well, you can be a non-combatant in a war, but not actually take part in physical fighting. Others will say, well, in the case of genocide, one must act, or there's a preventative war position that one can take. But the just war position uh, assumes a defensive posture. Uh, uh, St. Augustine was is really a, a big driver of it initially, but there have been numerous Christians throughout the centuries that have discussed it. Uh, it boils down to seven, largely seven uh, key positions to, to make a war just, although, again, scholars will differ a little bit. And so just cause is, is the first one. So what, what is the reasoning behind it? Just intention is similar, but slightly different. The third one is a war as a last resort. So, you know, if all else fails diplomatically, economically, a formal declaration, it assumes uh, between two governments, or two or more governments. Limited objectives is the fifth one. So, so what is going to be accomplished here? It shouldn't just last forever, but clearly in human history that's been violated. Proportionate means is the sixth one. So in terms of, you know, if I'm attacked and I attack back and, and do this, but it uh, implies protections of civilians, and then seventh is non-combatant immunity. So those are the key tenets of what is a just war. Uh, it's hard to think of, of many conflicts in history that would fulfill that and then in, in the duration of the war would be complete as well. So it's, so it's a very lofty standard. And it also uh, assumes, um, well, it doesn't account for recent changes in warfare. Because if you look at simply at the last century alone, uh, we've added three domains of warfare to land and naval conflicts that one may have seen in previous centuries. And what I mean by that is we now have aircraft, there's the air domain of warfare, uh, as well as space, uh, given GPS technology, and, and you can think beyond that in terms of weaponry allocated in space. And then the fifth one, which is also very recent, is cyberspace. And so uh, there are you know, different domains of warfare that can be utilized, and it's very hard to assess just war theory. Add to that drone technology, nuclear weaponry, and it's a very, very complex subject as a Christian to wrestle through. Well, we're going to try to do as best we can to wrestle through it a little bit in the context of what's happening in Ukraine with Russia Time for a quick break with us, Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University. We'll keep chatting in just a minute. Hey, it's Brian. If you've been a faithful listener to this podcast, we're just super grateful for you. Can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us in our journey to follow Jesus a little more closely every day. But I got to remind you about something. We're listener-supported. We're a ministry of Moody Radio in Cleveland, and it's donations from people who listen to us, just like you, that allow us to keep making episodes. Would you consider a donation to this ministry? A gift of any amount will make a huge difference. If you want to donate, we'd be so grateful. Just go to moodyradio.org slash Cleveland. Again, moodyradio.org slash Cleveland. 
Dr. Glenn Dewar is on with us. He's Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University, helping us understand what's going on between Ukraine and Russia. Dr. Dewar, as you explained what a just war is, has there ever been one? It's a great question, and it depends on one's view. Um, If we think historically, Christians have... um, attempted to gather at times in defensive unions if we think about the the post-reformation period in the uh, early to mid 16th century for example there were um, situations especially in the holy roman empire wherein uh, the protestant union one and then the schmacaldic league two were created by uh, Lutheran princes within especially the northern areas, but not exclusively of the Holy Roman Empire, to attempt to protect one's ability to read the uh, Word of God in German, to pray, to uh, engage in the five solas of Martin Luther's uh, central ideas of the Reformation. And it ended with uh, military defeats But an output of that was the 1555 religious peace of Augsburg, which did indeed change the Holy Roman Empire to give Lutheranism a much greater toleration. Uh, And so uh, some scholars will argue the creation of those leagues, especially the Schmacaldic League, would fit as just war because they went through the tenets of it uh, even though they engaged in conflict uh, against Charles V and the Holy Roman Empire. The other big one is, is, is arguably World War II, but given the, the sheer scope of that conflict and um, just the duration, it's hard to say exactly, okay, every one of the seven criteria of the uh, just war theory were allowable. Uh, But if we think about the World War II in terms of its beginnings, uh, Hitler's aggression in Europe, we have Japanese aggression in Asia, and then uh, on Pearl Harbor, there are a lot of the boxes that are checked with that one in particular. Interesting. So I noticed you didn't say a bunch of different things, like you you didn't bring up, for example, the Civil War. Uh, I mean, so are, are most others debatable, like highly debatable among Christians, whether they're justified, like a just war? Absolutely. And, and this is where it gets really challenging to, re- to wrestle through with Scripture. It pits Romans 13 against 1 Kings 12. And so if we think about the, the Civil War, for example, uh, in the United States, uh, or you, know, you, you can pick a range of others around the world uh, that have some intrastate that is a government versus a region of its own country, for example, if we read scripture, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7, or 1 Peter 2 verses 13 and 14, uh, or 1 Timothy uh, 2, 1 and 2, the general idea is to submit to the governing authorities. Now, in Romans 13, 4, the flip side to that is that the government should work for the people's good. Yeah. But then it depends on a definition of good. But generally, the expectation is that people will be under the governing authorities and try to work within a system 
rather than overthrowing it or engaging in conflict. However, with the Revolutionary War as well as the Civil War in the United States, you can pick, you know, again, globally, a lot of conflicts. Uh, A lot of um, sermons were preached on the conflict between Jeroboam and Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12, arguing that Rehoboam had not followed on from Solomon in a a manner worthy for the people's good, and therefore there was a point at which they could rebel openly, including conflict. And so in wrestling through that, is it a last resort? Does it check the boxes of just war theory? It's hard to say definitively yes in that circumstance, but I guess it depends as well on you know, which side one is taking in the conflict as well. So It sounds uh, like you could see, almost use just war theory to justify or not justify. You can almost bend it to say whatever you want. Absolutely, which is why I'm very, very careful in my application of it personally. It has to get to a very high standard mm-hmm. uh, in order to be said, yes, this is definitively a just war. And it's, it's hard to say that any conflict in history gets there. Uh, we have to bear in mind that this is academic. This is, this is, this is in a classroom. Right. And in the real world where there is just a lot of messiness, we're dealing with a Genesis 3 people, a sinful people, where Jesus himself in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 said, you know, in the end times, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We know there will be conflict. And as a result, uh, it's going to have all the messiness of, of how human beings interact. Uh, and so the just war theory is a nice and lofty standard. It's one uh, that we should, I think, hold to. Uh, but I personally would also um, you know, violate it in certain circumstances, you know, given, given a position of leadership. Uh, for example, uh, if, if I, in, a, in cases of ethnic cleansing and genocide, if we think through loving one's neighbor, it's not very loving to allow one's neighbor to be slaughtered uh, openly by a government just based on skin color or language or, you know, you pick anything mm-hmm. uh, into which someone is born. And so that's where it gets challenging because just war would say that's not just to stop genocide if you're not attacked personally, for example. And then again, we huh. have to think in the modern era about, say, nuclear weaponry. If I knew a nuclear weapon would be employed against the United States or, or any other country for that matter, I could not retaliate or defend until I'd been hit under just war theory. There's no preventative or preemptive power uh, under just war theory. Uh, and if we uh, suffer a nuclear attack, that's obviously devastating. And so there are things like that within just war theory in my view, that are shortcomings, but at the same time, we have to wrestle with them very carefully because, as you just said, you can almost justify war, a lot of different wars on that type of a ground. So is it safe to presume then that some territorial disputes amongst Russia and Ukraine probably wouldn't pass much muster with just war theory for the U.S. to be involved, from a Christian biblical perspective exclusively? Uh, in terms of just war, no. But again, we get into things like um, you know, if we if we can see the Ukrainians being slaughtered, 
then do we sit by and just, you know, okay, neighbor, you know, good luck. Or do we say, okay, well, we are maybe not going to engage in conflict because there's no treaty obligation under NATO. The Budapest Memorandum of 1994 is a memorandum, not a treaty. And therefore, you know, we don't have that obligation. But, you know, what can we do in terms of supplying aid, weaponry, to give them a fighting chance. And I think that's how uh, we've responded really since 2014 uh, across the Obama, Trump and Biden administrations. So with that in mind, how do you advise followers of Christ, maybe in your classroom as students or just those listening, knowing that it really is debatable, it sounds, as Christians approach whether or not war is justified, how do we engage in these discussions when it can be debated? For me, it's key to look at the, the world order as it exists and was put in place by the greatest generation following World War II. And it's not a perfect world, but it is one that is much safer for the free market, for constitutional rights, the rule of law, liberty, all of those things. And the premise, one of the premises of it is that big countries can't just take things from little countries as they have done for uh, centuries. I mean, if we think of the Old Testament, for, ex- for example, there are no Edomites today or Ammonites or Aramites or uh, various different nations that warred with David and other kings of Israel. Uh, they're gone. And so in today's world, there's the protection for the smaller countries, uh, the ones that are in more difficult circumstances. And then they also have the opportunity to pursue some of these things that can contribute to human flourishing, that can protect things like private property. If we think through Exodus 20:17, thou shalt not steal, it does imply the ability of private property. Uh, and it does uh, lead logically to, to an element of the free market. Uh, and so in this world, protecting the Ukraines, or at least giving them a chance, Uh, is a key. If that rolls back and Russia is allowed to take Ukraine, where does it stop? Because then it opens the door logically to China uh, engaging, taking Taiwan, Turkey, uh, reimposing an old uh, or a new Ottoman Empire, Iran expanding. All of a sudden we have a much, much bloodier world. And that's the that's the challenge. It is complicated, certainly worth praying over, uh, and uh, grateful for your academic help here and philosophical look at just war theory. We've been talking with Dr. Glenn Dewar, Associate Professor of International Studies at Cedarville University. Highly encourage you to go check out cedarville.edu. Again, cedarville.edu, where you can send your kid or yourself to study. Uh, Doc, thanks as well uh, for your time yet again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So go ahead. Look down. Hit that button right there and subscribe. And you'll get updated episodes. And then you can hang some more. And guess what? You can help us out. How? A five-star rating. Hello. You can also hang with us live weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Download the Moody Radio mobile app and you're able to connect with us. Or just go to brianandjanelle.org. 
And listen, we didn't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Mike Reynolds, Alan Perry, and our awesome and fearless leader, Josue Villa. And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.